Since 2011, the Utah Foundation has measured community quality of life five times using a survey and index method. In 2022, the community quality of life index stands at a score of 64 out of a possible 100 points. That makes this year the clear low mark. In late June, the Utah Foundation released the 2022 Utah Community Quality of Life Index. It's a booming economy making life better. I'm joined by the co-authors of the report, Utah Foundation Vice President and Research Director Sean Teigen and Senior Analyst Christopher Collard in this edition of Utah Thrives, the Utah Foundation podcast. I'm Peter Reichardt. Sean and Christopher, how are you gentlemen? Hey, doing great. I'm doing well, thank you. So we've got this new report out. It's the 2022 Utah Community Quality of Life Index. First, how do we put this together? We've got a lot of different factors we're looking at in constructing this index. Christopher. So back in 2011, we kind of uh, brainstormed when people think about their communities, what are, what are they really thinking about? And essentially, we came up with this list of 20 items. So then we, we take these 20 items and we go out and ask people, you know, think about your community, which we define as kind of like, think about the area where you could drive in 30 minutes and then kind of rate your community on these 20 items on a scale of one to five, how well that, that really performs for your community. Then we, we take all those, those 20 items um, and kind of sum them up and put them on an index between zero and 100. And that kind of forms this backbone of our quality of life index. And what does a survey look like? How do we gather this information? So this is just a, a survey that we, we reach out statewide over the past, uh, we've done this five times over the past few years since 2011. And this year, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited about our approach this year. We've got a, a really great household response rate. And that's because of this kind of new approach where instead of just calling or just emailing, uh, the uh, Lighthouse Research has phone numbers and email for uh, many different households. And so they can call and if they don't get a response or can't get through to them, they'll email and say, hey, we'd like to call you again. And so they call them again. Um, and then if somebody even starts a survey either online or on the phone, but doesn't finish it, then they have an opportunity uh, to finish it the other way. Now, I mentioned at the top of the podcast that the score, the index score this time around is 64. And this represents the lowest score out of the five times we've done this um, and a decline from 2013. I guess we in 2011, it went up a little bit to 2013. And then from 2013, it's um, down from 73 to 64. Is that correct? Yeah. And, you know, in the past four iterations of the survey, there wasn't a whole lot of change from uh, administration of the survey to the, to the next one. Uh, the, the only real significant change we saw was from 2013 to 2018. But now in 2022, this it really kind of took a nosedive in terms of quality of life. It's, very, it's, it's statistically significantly lower than any of the last four years that we've administered the survey. So it, it really has been an, it, it taken a turn for the worse uh, for quality of life on average for Utahns across the state. So what's dragging the numbers down, 
Christopher? We saw we saw a five and a half point decrease from 2018 to 2022. And when we when we kind of dived into like what was driving down Utah's overall quality of life, it really um, comes down to housing affordability and just living costs other than housing. So, I mean, it's, it's really a, an issue of living costs right now, both in housing and other living costs. They're responsible for, you know, 60, 63% of that decrease or about two thirds. Um, it's completely due to those two factors related to the cost of living. And Sean, you've been doing a lot of work in other projects around the housing affordability issue. Affordable housing looks like it has the lowest performance rating of any of the 20 factors on the index and actually much lower than any other factor. Yeah, and it's got the lowest rating in terms of performance of any of the 20 factors over the five administrations of the survey, even lower, far lower than jobs in the economy was in 2011 after the Great Recession. So, you know, housing affordability has really taken a nosedive. And I, I think it's interesting to know, Christopher pointed out that it's these two factors that are really account for about two thirds of the decrease. There's 11 other factors we've seen a decrease from as well, but they're just, you know, they're small decreases uh, of these 20 factors in total. Those two factors really related to inflation that are, are really driving uh, this decrease in quality of life. And, and I would suggest that those two factors, that inflation, um, you know, in, in addition to, I'm sure, uh, uh, some of the, the kind of the hangover, I guess, from the pandemic, is that, that that's what is also maybe driving some of those 11 factors down to a certain extent. And that's, you know, we don't have data to back that up, but it kind of feels like that must be a part of what's at play here in having a decrease in 13 of the 20 factors in, in, uh, over the one iteration of the survey. So we have this factor of the cost of living, general inflation, but also the housing affordability becoming a bigger problem. This part of it seems to be really part of a strong economy. And when we look on the other side of the flip side, you know, we have one factor that has trended upward. Christopher, do you want to talk about that one? Yeah. So when we when we looked at how the factors were trending, you know, each individual factor over the past um, the past decade since 2011, 18 of these factors, you know, saw this trend downward, um, and the only factor that saw an upward trend was jobs and economy. And you know, if we think about it, you know, like Sean mentioned, you know, we first did this in 2011 when when there was still a, a big impact from the Great Recession, and jobs has just kind of slowly ticked up in in its performance each year more or less since then. Um, it kind of plateaued over the last year. But there's been a gent that's been the one factor that we've seen a, a, an upward trend in these 20 factors since since 2011. Uh, if I could get back to this kind of housing affordability thing, I think one thing that's interesting to note is if you look back at our 2018 Community Quality of Life Survey, we asked a couple of different questions uh, that we added to that about housing affordability. And people were really uh, concerned about it then. But really concerned about it typically for the community at large and not as much uh, for themselves, for their own affordability. And we also, you know, we worked quite a bit on a, a, a missing middle housing, another approach to housing affordability in the state, a, a study on that over the last year. We had a survey there as well. And when you ask people about their concern around housing prices, their concerns not as often for themselves, but for, for Utahns in in general, and particularly younger Utahns. So they're concerned about people that don't 
currently own a house that are maybe renting and they're concerned about people that are growing up and, and particularly, you know, their kids, they want their kids to live here. And if you have a housing market, like we've got in the state, you know, what 25 year old is going to be able to buy a, you know, $600,000 starter home. It, it's going to be kind of tricky for people going forward. And, and I think that in terms of community quality of life uh, and the survey, people really recognize that. Now, we also looked at things, we broke things down according to various demographic points. And it looks like a couple of things here really emerged where, due to demographics, we saw some significant differences in reported community quality of life. Sean, do you want to talk about those a little bit? Sure. You know, the, the biggest one, and I, I find this fascinating, year over year, we, we ask people, you know, if, if you're religious. And, and those who are affiliated with religion have far higher quality of life than those who are not affiliated with the religion. That's the biggest difference on, on the index. It's about nine points on this, on this, uh, you know, zero to 100 index. I just want to add one clarification there, Sean. Yeah. So we do have two separate parts of this survey. We have one where people rate their community and one where rate their personal satisfaction, kind of like their, their personal quality of life. And so this year we're talking about when, when religiously affiliated Utahns talk about their community they always rate their community higher in terms of their quality of life when compared with non-religiously affiliated Utahns. So yes. in other words, community quality of life rather than personal quality of life. That's what we're talking about here. Well, we should pause here and note that we've got a, a, a report coming out um, a little bit later focused on personal quality of life. But this first report is focused on the community. Thank you, Christopher. That was a good occasion to, uh, to point that out. Those people who are religiously affiliated, they look at their communities and say, hey, you know, this is a better place to live. And, and some of the things that rise to the top, I think one is probably kind of obvious. It's the availability of spiritual and religious activities and groups. So that, that's, that's a, a big deal for those that are religiously affiliated. Also, uh, they like how much people share kind of similar values and views of the world. And, and you may be able, you know, you see that in maybe a congregation or something where you, you have a lot of people that kind of are uh, kind of feeling out the world in, in much the same way you are. And then also about how much people support and help each other. So those are the really the three big ones that, raise the, uh, that rise to the top in terms of, of that community quality of life uh, for those that are religiously affiliated. And then, you know, there are some other ones. There, there's a couple of maybe obvious ones is, is if, if you have a bachelor's degree or more education, or if you make more than $50,000 a year in your household, you also have a higher quality of life than your counterparts. We also saw an increase. People, generally older Utahns, kind of rated their communities higher than when compared with younger Utahns. That was a, a difference we saw as well. It was, yeah, it was interesting to see by age group that it, just stepped up from one age group to the next to where finally, when you compare the oldest Utahns to the youngest, there's a pretty significant gap. But it seems that if you just look at that, that one image, you see that there, there are these steps to improve community quality of life with age in Utah. Age alone, you know, holding religious differences and, and their education and their gender, and their income steady, we still saw a, a difference in age group. So there's there's a couple of reasons older Utahns might be seeing a higher quality of life. Many of the older Utahns are actually homeowners, and when you're when you're homeowner, you you have a, a fixed mortgage rate. You're kind of locked into the system, even though everybody, even though the price of housing increases in general, your 
individual price doesn't increase. So maybe that that affordable housing crisis doesn't feel doesn't feel as tight. Um, it could also be that you know older older Utahns are a little bit more economically stable and and don't experience inflation as as quite the threat as maybe less established Utahns do. When we really looked at at which individual differences, which which specific factors, um, kind of made a difference where older Utahns had more positive feelings about a specific factor than younger Utahns. Um, a lot of, or some of it was related to the quality of healthcare services, air and water quality kind of came to the top. And that might just reflect, you know, uh, the younger Utahns are more concerned about that for their community, but it might also reflect the fact that older Utahns have been around longer and they've seen the improvements that Utah has had in its air quality over the past five decades. Another factor that the older Utahns rated higher was how, how respectful people were in their community of, of group differences and also how much people help and support each other. Mm-hmm. And so we see these divisions, um, and interestingly, not, not, as very, not as pronounced a division on things like uh, whether you live on the Wasatch Front or not, which is a very rough proxy for urban versus rural. You know, overall, there may be differences in certain categories, but overall, um, a, a relatively similar, similar reported quality of life, um, not big, big differences in terms of gender, although men did report a somewhat higher quality of life, but the categories tended to line up in terms of of where they landed in each of those. So looking at men and women, it is actually interesting to see that men had a higher uh, reported uh, performance on on a bunch of factors. There were small bits. Uh, there, there wasn't really a, a thing that kind of drove that difference, though um, that, that inflation picture, uh, men feel a little bit better about housing affordability and other, other costs of living than, than women do. Um, so, so that kind of drove the difference there. But in terms of the where people live, that kind of proxy for people that are urban and rural, I think the fascinating thing there is while there wasn't a difference in the overall quality of life, some of the factors had the biggest differences of any demographic group, though some kind of benefited uh, people that are off the Wasatch Front and some benefited people that are on the Wasatch Front. So if you look at like uh, quality of the the environment, uh, people in more rural areas felt a lot better about uh, air and water quality uh, than people in on, along the Wasatch Front. But uh, that said, people on the Wasatch Front feel a lot better about public transportation. They feel a lot better about having a, a, a great quality stores nearby. And they also feel better about the opportunities for good jobs. Sure. And all of that is basically what assets do you have? What problems do you have? Those are a lot of things that you, you might actually anticipate in terms of differences. Um, but yeah, it is, it is kind of neat that they sort of end up at the same overall score uh, netting yeah. out. I guess one interesting thing that I thought about uh, the, the men kind of had a reported a higher, uh, higher level of quality of life regarding their community is last time in, in 2018, we actually saw the opposite trend. We saw that, that women were more likely to report um, that they were more satisfied with, with their community. And so I did think that that was kind of an interesting flip from, from the previous iteration. Looking back at some of these other things we just went through, if we can backtrack a little bit. We talked about income, the more the merrier in terms of your community quality of life. We also talked about educational attainment, which is a big focus of the Utah Foundation. We see that as a major socioeconomic dividing line between those who have some post-secondary education and those who stopped at high school. 
The religious part is an interesting one as well. And we've looked at that in our social capital series. And, and you know, there, there are a lot of studies out there that talk about the physical and mental health associated with religious affiliation. Any reflections on any of those three other items? In- income, I think that one's rather obvious. <laughs> maybe money can buy a little bit of maybe not happiness, but uh, community quality of life, but the educational attainment and religion. Well, yeah, money is pretty straightforward. I mean, people with higher incomes are going to be able to afford better better neighborhoods where they have, you know, better services and a higher higher quality of life for their neighborhood. In talking about money, uh, one of the most important factors year over year and the most important factor this year is quite literally what the neighborhood looks like. It's it's uh, the attractiveness of your streets and and buildings and and the trees and the lawns and that kind of thing. And so if, if you're living in maybe a fancier neighborhood for lack of a better word, it might be a little bit more attractive and you might feel a little bit better about that community quality of life. And then you've got that really important item, that attractiveness of the community uh, really bumps up on the list. Well, I guess the thing that really stood out this year is the most important factor was was how much people kind of support and help each other. This is kind of one of Utah's strengths. Um, this factor has always kind of been above average in its performance and also above average in its, in its importance. So it's something that's really important to people. It's something that Utah does well. And it's kind of reflected in some of the other research we've done. Um, in, in our past series on, on social capital, we kind of dove into kind of the community quality, the community social capital. Um, we looked at, at factors like religious participation weekly, where you can kind of build up those community relations. We looked at Utah's levels of volunteerism, also just like um, participation in, in community pro- projects that improve your community. And Utah was first in the nation in all of those factors. To be honest, it wasn't like the second place wasn't even close. Utah really stands apart from the rest of the nation in terms of in terms of these kind of three factors of volunteerism, um, weekly religious attendance, and participation in neighborhood improving projects. Interestingly, we, we are seeing a significant decrease in religious participation, not just nationally, but in Utah. So we'll have to see how that plays out in this work in the future. Yeah, this kind of downward trend from 2013 is that in part due to that turning away from a religious affiliation over time. We asked also, we asked people, what would improve your quality of life? And this is really my favorite part of the report. We started getting into this, you know, what are the ways that we can improve quality of life? Obviously, if housing is a big issue, it's not surprising that more than a third of our respondents suggested that their communities need to see more housing that's affordable. But what are some of the other things? And, you know, we looked at this a lot of different ways to come up with a to-do list for policymakers. What are some of the things on that to-do list, Sean? In terms of that to-do list, we didn't only use the the open-ended question about what would improve quality of life, but we also wanted to find out what some of the high potential factors are of like, what are the things that either are super important or are performing very badly kind of along this line. And, and I think that's kind of an interesting way of, of analyzing these data. And then we also looked at the action items. The action items are the things that are higher than average importance, but lower than average uh, performance. And so by, by taking all of those three and kind of looking uh, together at the group of them, uh, we, we came up with four main action items. And I think one of them, I think is, is like you said, is pretty obvious, Peter. It, it has to do with housing affordability, but then it also uh, is 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 that policymakers need to explore other ways of reducing uh, costs of living, um, and that might be you know I, maybe I yeah I guess we that. sort of hesitate to say what those might be because <laughs> right. really 
right. that those ways to reduce the cost of living, or you could find policy suggestions across the political spectrum on ways to reduce the cost of living, right? Yeah, so yeah, and it, it is maybe better for us to, to uh, yeah. <laughs> leave that to the policymakers to, <laughs> right, to sort right. out. We're we're um, being high level here. Christopher, any um, thoughts on on that? Building in the streets is actually something that kind of came up a, a little bit in our in our report, looking at middle uh, middle housing. You know, the whole concept of middle housing is how do we how do we create more housing that's affordable, that kind of still fits in with the with the character and the structure of of the neighborhood, and you know how can we make sure that our building and our streets still looks nice even with this growth and that and that keys directly into the second item in the for the policy arena sean do you want to tackle that yeah it's all about investing in the built environment we don't have a question of the 20 kind of uh, community quality of life aspects that's related to you know walkability in the community but people bring up that they want pedestrian friendly areas and and they want attractive high quality uh, developments and they want tree-lined streets and they want uh, you know beautiful looking places and 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 so that's a that's a big one uh, i think an interesting one that that is quite often in that kind of action items category people also bring up air quality and you you might really care about air quality or you might not care as much about air quality but this is this is one where where a lot of people suggested hey you know what we need to do something about this we need to keep improving on on the air quality uh, uh improvements that we've been making over you know over the last couple of decades um to make sure that you know studies keep coming out um, uh, year over year that that talk about uh, focused on on the wasatch front that talk about kind of the the, the harms uh, that we're experiencing in terms of health and other factors in terms of air quality. And then last of all, you know, and this is something that is, some people might find a little bit interesting making the list. It has to do with public transportation and traffic. And the reason why they may find that interesting on the list, because if you look at our matrix, it's, it's those two issues are kind of way down in the, the, the less important category. If you don't take public transportation, or if you don't get on the freeway to commute to work, it doesn't matter to you, but if you're stuck in traffic every day for an hour, or if you're, or if you're, you know, gonna make three uh, changes on your on your public transportation route in order to get to work, um, that could take a long time to get to where you're going, and so so that really rises to the top for people when they're talking about specific improvements. So those are really the, the big four things that have to do with that that affordability, making sure we're living in beautiful places, making sure that we've got clean air and making sure we can get around um, either by public transportation or on the streets in a, in a pretty easy way. And there does seem to be some overlap in all of this. You know, we talk about investing in the built environment and enhancing land use policies to promote attractive high quality developments, streetscapes that are pedestrian friendly, streetscapes that have the kinds of key amenities that people want. You can do that in a way where you're actually creating transportation enhancements in a way in which you're opening the field for more housing types that allow for more um, affordability, either for owners or renters. Um, and I guess if you if you do it all in a way where people are driving around less, that maybe that can uh, help with air quality a little bit. Or if you do it with buildings that are that are efficient, then you can have some positive impacts on air quality. We've at the Utah Foundation released a report called Building a Better Beehive a, a few years ago. And we've got one coming up that, that Peter, you've been working on uh, that looks at infill and, uh, and infill development. And, and it's interesting to see how all of these things that kind of rise to the top uh, really are, are kind of tied in with some of these concepts of 
just smart development and and some of the stuff that the Utah Foundation has been working on over the last couple of years. So as we're going through and categorizing uh, people's kind of open-ended responses, we sometimes get a, a picture of some interesting views that the, the Utahns hold regarding you know, what would make their, their quality of life better. And some of them were, are, you know, feel like a little bit bitter or vindictive. And in some of these, these more negative comments, it often seems is, is related to growth, how dense um, their communities are feeling. As, as looking over that list and thinking kind of with those comments in mind, it seems like Utah really has um, one major issue that it's trying to deal with, and that's growth. Um, Utah, we have the highest birth rate in the country. Um, and we have one of the highest levels of, of immigration in the country. Um, so, so people are coming here, we're, we're having kids, we're, we're dealing with an expanding population. And that, that impacts our communities in the majority of these ways that we've been talking about. You know, that's part of the pressure on our affordable housing is that, that we haven't been able to, to produce enough houses as, as we have new families that need them. You know, when we're talking about traffic and public transportation, those are those are things that we have to um, continually to work on as we, you know, as we grow and, and have more people to support. You know, as we, you know, continue to grow, there's there's people who say, keep the Californians out of Utah, you know, talking about thinking about, you know, w- you know, people who share the same values as them, you know. So so all, a lot of these issues are, are related to these issues of growth and, and how can we manage it well? It's not something we can just stop. There's no there's no public policy option to stop having children or to to build walls around Utah and not let anyone else in. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could wreck the economy and destroy yeah. the quality of life. I mean, and that's and that's the, your that most could, that would slow growth down considerably. The, that's but. the best way to slow down growth is is by making Utah a less attractive option to come to. But in in the meantime, that that hurts all of us as well. The key struggle here is we think about our our community quality of life. Is how can we how can we support growth in a way that that doesn't have harm our, our current high quality of life? Yes, this is the refrain we keep coming back to: is building quality of life into our growth. Christopher brought up some of the there were some negative comments in there, and it's actually sometimes it's a little bit shocking to see how negative some of the people are, but overwhelmingly by large people uh, had positive things to say and had positive like what are positive things we can do uh, to make the, uh, the 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 state better and you know positive things we can do to to grow in a way that that works for everybody else so it is it is good to see that 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 there wasn't too much negativity uh, in these open-ended comments any other thoughts this community quality of life is just part one. Uh, the the personal quality of life uh, comes out next, and and we're going to be including some analysis that shows uh, the relationship between community and personal quality of life. And so that that's I think a pretty interesting thing to keep an eye out for as well. Christopher, uh, you want to have, have the last word? Do you have some interesting tidbits for us? Yeah, there were you know there were a couple of things that kind of jumped out to me as as we looked over this data that we've had over the you know that we've kind of developed over the past decade or so. Um, one thing is, is if you, if you compare all of these, we talked about how some items went up and some items went down. Um, but one really interesting thing that came out of it is over the past five iterations of the survey, um, most of these items have kind of tracked together. They've kind of kept their same relative performance. So even though, you know, we've talked about how there's been this decrease in, in the quality of life, you know, overall there's been, you know, most everything has kind of decreased at the same level or the similar rate. Um, so they've kind of been kept the, a similar distance kind of between them. And the, really the, the three big exceptions to that was, was affordable housing and other living costs, which really took a big dive, especially over the past 
um, two or three iterations. And then the other, the other exemption was jobs, which, which has seen an increase, but everything else has, has kind of remained remarkably stable in terms of its level with each other. Christopher, Sean, pleasure talking to you. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. This has been Utah Thrives, the Utah Foundation podcast. Follow our work at utahfoundation.org.